0: You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Just a few weeks ago, I had a hotel right downtown, right in the center of Rome, and just ten minutes from my hotel was the Scalia Sancta. Now the scaly sanctity, if you don't know what it is, it's the holy stairs, that's what it means. But this set of stairs right here supposedly is the stairs that Jesus walked up to be judged by Pontius Pilate and then walked back down them. So basically walked down on the way to the cross. Now you might say, well, didn't that happen in Jerusalem? What are they doing in Rome? Well, supposedly, and there's no factual basis of this uh, that anyone knows that's never been proven, but supposedly, Constantine's mom uh, went and got the stairs in Jerusalem and brought them back to Rome because they were such an important uh, item. It was, uh, it was such important, that, so was such great importance that he had walked up and down those stairs. Now, how are they used today? Well, today, uh, mostly Roman Catholics, will come to this church and go into the stairs, and they will climb up the 28 stairs on their knees. And to do that, when you get to the top, supposedly, uh, if you do it right, you pray on each step and so forth, your sins are forgiven. Now, I tell you that because of where I want to head. I want to tell you a story. Uh, 500 years ago, a little more than 500 years ago, an attorney was out... uh, traveling by horseback, and he got caught in a thunderstorm and got knocked off his horse by a lightning bolt, and he thought he was gonna die. So he prayed, God, if you'll save me, I'll be a monk. And that was the beginning of the ministry of a man by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther went ahead directly to seminary and was trained as a priest, and even after becoming a priest, just did not feel righteous. He did not feel different. Uh, he, he, he felt like, how can I truly know my sins are forgiven? He tried everything. In fact, he went to these stairs and he climbed these stairs on his knees, praying at every step. And when he got to the top, he said, basically, I don't think that worked. <laughs> Here are his words about those, that period of time in his life. When I was a monk, I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with daily sacrifice. I tortured myself with fastings, vigils, prayers, and other very rigorous works. I earnestly thought to acquire righteousness by my works. But it was a failure. It can't work, as you know. And so shortly after he came back from Rome, he began to from the book of Romans and it didn't take very long till he got to verse 17 and verse 17 changed his life he says I learned that the gospel of God was the gospel of righteousness has been revealed in me that that God's Christ's righteousness has now been placed in me and that's what makes me righteous and he counted that his true conversion moment Today we come to that verse 17, actually verses 16 and 17. We're going to do what is many times called the heart of the book of Romans, even though it's at the beginning. It's like Paul tells you these two verses and then uh, then uses the next 16 chapters to unpack them. It's... It's an incredible two verses that all Christians should know. In fact, this week, I wondered how I was going to preach this, and I worked on coming up with an outline and so forth, and I I really couldn't, and I realized, you know, the best thing to do is just take this phrase by phrase, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take each phrase of these two verses and hopefully really understand them the way we ought. So take your Bibles, your sermon notes, and uh, join me. You can use sermon notes on your... Uh, church app or uh, all the paper ones, whatever works best for you, and follow along as we dig into God's Word. There's two things I want to share with you as uh, we get started. First of all, uh, we'd love to have a good response to an online survey. Now, the online survey is for anybody who ever uses the online ministry. So this means if when you're traveling or when your family's ill or whatever, you use the you watch the online service, you participate that way. We'd love to have you fill out the survey. And those of you who are, you know, every week you use the online service. uh, Please, would you do this survey? Here's all you have to do is on the back of your sermon notes today or at home, it's also on the screen. You can just take your phone and scan that. You have my permission to do it right now. It's a five-question survey. It'll take you less than 60 seconds, but we'd love to have you do this so that we can improve our ministry online, and we'd like to improve how we can minister to those who are more often online. So please give us your feedback. Thank you so much. Now, secondly, we have a a mission trip coming up, a disaster relief trip down to Port Charlotte, Florida. It's coming up on November 13 through the 19. It's a men's trip, and it's not because women couldn't do this work. It's just because of the accommodations and so forth that just works out better for one gender so we'll have uh, guys go we need six to eight can take as many maybe as 10 so if you're interested in being a part of that please let us know sign up on your e-card or just contact one of us and we will make sure you're a part of that okay we're going to dig in but if you're doing the survey go ahead and do it i don't mind at all i know some of you worry that you won't get all your blanks filled in but I, maybe you can do both are you ready here we go There are two lessons for the series that we're talking about. Number one, God's eternal qualities are easily seen and known by anyone who chooses to know him. God does not hide himself. It's not a hide and seek, can you find me? No, he is front and center. He is there for anybody who wants to find him. Secondly, for those who trust Christ, God's righteousness is revealed and imparted to them. So you'll see Christ's righteousness, but you also have Christ's righteousness. And God the Father will see you as perfect. And I know you and I say, I'm not perfect, I'm no saint. But you are, if you're a follower of Christ. In God's eyes, you are. He sees you as righteous. Now I'm going to take a moment to review the things we learned last week. I realize that when you're watching a TV series and... uh, You're getting ready to watch it, and it says, previously on, there's always a skip button, but you don't have that for me, so (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and do this. Uh, So I'll do it quickly. Let's do real quick, what did we learn last week? We learned that Paul thanked the people of Rome for their international witness, worldwide conversation about these people. Paul says, everywhere I go in the world, I hear reports about your faith. Wow, what a testimony to the people of Rome. Secondly, Paul prayed constantly for the people there. In fact, he says, I pray without ceasing ceasing, and I pray always. In other words, there's not a time I'm not praying for you. That's an amazing thought. And then he said, I have a second prayer. My second prayer is that I should someday be able to visit you in person. That's my heart's desire, which by the way, he did some years later. Thirdly, Paul had six reasons. I'll say these quick to visit Rome. Number one, to provide a spiritual gift to the Roman people, to the Roman Christians. Now this is not like the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. This is the idea that a spiritual gift would be being able to encourage each other, bless one another. That's what we're talking about. Number two, he says, I wanna come because I wanna encourage you. And, and I love this about Paul. He says, I wanna be encouraged by you. There are, as I said last week, I think some big name speakers, and it doesn't get any bigger than the Apostle Paul, right? who would come into a church or a ministry and basically say, I'm here to bless you. But, but Paul says, no, I, I'm here to encourage you, but I'm also so excited about being encouraged by you. Thirdly, he had been prevented from going before. And of course, anytime you wanna do something and you're stopped from doing it multiple times, you wanna make sure you get, to get there. So that's what he's doing. He says, I really, my desire is even stronger to come to see you. Number four, he wants to have a harvest among the people of Rome. A Harvest meaning he wants to present the gospel. He wants to see people come to Christ, and particularly Gentiles here. I, I think this is interesting because every pastor, that's their desire. And it's, it's not because of numbers. I want a few more you know, notches in my belt or a few more stars in my crown. That's not his heart. You, you know that about Paul. He says, I just, I'd love to be a part of a revival there in Rome. Number five, he wanted to continue to repay his debt. The NIV translates this word here as obligated. But I think the better translation is debt. I am in debt. How? Well, you see, Christ gave him this wonderful righteousness. And now he wants to pass it on. And so he feels like he's in debt to everyone. Remember, we learned about Greeks and non-Greeks. Greeks are the highest kind of... Society, the, the, you know, the top-notch people. And the non-Greeks, that's simply the word in Greek, barbarians. So from the very top level of society to the very bottom level of society, I am in debt and I want to repay that. Number six, he wants to preach the gospel. This is his heart. And he, just, he doesn't hide it. He says, I'm eager to, uh, to go and preach the gospel. I, I get excited about preaching the gospel, is what he says. And I relate. I do too. Now, I want to tell you a couple things about these two verses before we dig in, because I think you should know these kind of backdrop things. Number one, these two verses begin a major shift in focus that if you don't know what you're looking for, you could easily miss it. He shifts from himself. I want to come see you. I am praying for you. My heart's desire. It's all about Paul, which is a good thing. It's not a negative thing. But now it switches. In fact, I want to show this to you. I didn't know quite how to do it. So I kind of put this on the screen with all the, the letter I. With I put it in red there so you could maybe see it. He says 14 times, I, 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 I long to see you. I may be with you and so forth. 14 times, he says, I. The 14th time is in today's passage. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it, right there's the transition, For eight verses, it's been about Paul. Now it shifts to it and the it is the gospel. Now it shifts clearly to the gospel and that's what we're gonna study. Secondly, these two verses are the heart of the book of Romans. The rest of the letter is basically explaining it. The things that you read here about the gospel and about righteousness and so forth, you're gonna keep reading through the rest of the book and it's gonna even expand uh, so much more than you can imagine. Number three, these two verses have changed the hearts and lives of so many people and revivals in our world that it's hard to estimate it. But the one I shared with you is Martin Luther and verse 17 is the one who changed his life and began, as you know, the Reformation, which many of us are the result of. Number four, these two verses need to be understood, my opinion, memorized by every believer. These are two that you should not only be able to say from memory, you should be able to explain easily. And I think maybe we haven't taken the time sometimes to do that kind of thing. We're going to do that today. These two verses help us understand this passage is interconnected. Each line kind of builds on the previous one and magnifies the previous one. And I'm not going to take time to show you this except to kind of do like I did earlier. This is beginning with verse 16, going all the way down to verse 21. And you can see the word for, gar in the Greek. This is the word for, and it means because, or so that. And so you can see, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, and for it is the righteousness, and for faith, and so forth. So he just keeps going back to that word, and you could translate it just as well, because, and You understanding that he's unpacking something really important that we'll actually conclude next week. Now, I'd like to read it to you before we take it verse by verse or line by line here. So, I'm just going to give you some context. Verses 14 and 15 we did last week. I am obligated both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm so eager to preach the gospel. For, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for or because, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Other translations, by the way, right there say from faith to faith. We'll understand that in a moment. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So two verses, we're going to take them phrase by phrase. I broke it down into 10 parts. Hang with me. Here we go. First line, for I am not ashamed. Paul says, I can't wait to preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed. I'm excited about it. Paul begins this section by giving his personal testimony. I'll share the gospel anywhere, anytime. I don't care if I'm with Christians, I don't care if I'm with non-Christians, absolute pagans, people who worship another god. You remember Paul on his first missionary journey goes into a town and begins to preach and they stone him to death. Then they drag him outside of the city and they leave him for dead. He gets up. When he gets up, he runs. No, no, he walks right back into that same city and keeps preaching. Because you see, no matter what you do to him, he's not ashamed of it. He gets chased out of Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and many other places. When they chase him away, they say, Paul, stay out of trouble for a while. And he ends up in Athens. And he's walking around Athens trying to stay out of trouble, but he can't. Because he goes up on Mars Hill. Today it's called the Areopagus. And there are all the philosophers, the greatest minds... Of Greece, maybe the greatest in the world. And they have all these multiple gods, and they even have a a, an image, but they call it the unknown God. And so Paul goes to the greatest minds on the planet and says, You know what? You don't know who the unknown God is, I do. And he begins to share the gospel. Because he's not not ashamed. And by the way, some come to faith. One guy, by the way, who came to faith that day was named Dionysius. That's my name in English, Dennis. So that's my favorite verse of the Bible. (laughs) So, Paul, many, many times proved to us that he's not ashamed. He viewed the gospel as a gift that cannot be repaid. And by the way, I just paused to ask you are you ashamed? When someone asks you about your faith or asks you if you go to church, are you ashamed? Secondly, of the gospel. The word for gospel is euangelion in the Greek. But if you see it translated or transliterated like I have it on the screen, it's pretty obvious what that word is today. For us, it's the word like evangelism, right? And so... Euangelion translates specifically to the words good news or good tidings or glad tidings. That's what it really means. When I was a little boy, we every year read the Christmas story, obviously, in the King James, and it says, and the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That's the word good news. Euangelion. I bring you the good news. What was the good news? A baby whose name was Jesus the Christ. And so this good news is for us to share. By the way, if you teach it, if you share that good news with a friend, co-worker, you are now an evangelist. You on Galion, it means evangelist, and you're, you're an evangelist, so hopefully you are faithful to that. Number three, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power Now, the word power in Greek is dunamis. 150 years ago, a gentleman who was an inventor came up with something that he'd been searching for for years, a way to stabilize nitroglycerin. And he invented this ability to move nitroglycerin around and explode it. And he went to a Christian friend and he says, what's the Bible's word for Power. And his friend said, well, in Greek, it's dynamos." And he said, that's it. I'm gonna name my invention dynamite. And so dynamite it became, but unfortunately, not only was dynamite used for good things like building, it was used for horrible things like war. And dynamite became the horrible power of war that destroyed lives over and over and over again that people began to hear the word dynamite and think, oh. And so this inventor said, I'm going to die, and people are going to remember me as the guy who was the man of war. I don't want that. So he took his fortune and put it into a fund and said, I'm going to make it a peace prize. That'll be given every year, and you know who he is, Alfred Nobel, the Nobel Peace Prize. Because you see, this stuff was so powerful People were thinking of it in the wrong way. It can be good. It can be for peace. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power, it's the dynamite of God. Dynamite. How have you seen that power in your life? Well, let me just give you some biblical examples, then we'll move to more current. There was a man who would come to Jesus at nighttime because he was afraid of anybody seeing him, he was a coward. But by the end of the gospel of John, he's going to be with Jesus in broad daylight because the gospel had turned a coward into a bold man. There was a man by the name of Saul who killed people who believed in the gospel. And by the power of God, that man became the preacher of the gospel. And and you go, how could that be? There was a man by the name of John who wrote the Gospel of John, who was apparently a pretty vengeful kind of guy. He and his brother were called the Sons of Thunder. One time, Jesus was walking with them through a village that denied Christ, and John said, Let's just call down fire and destroy everybody in the city. You know what he's called now? He's called the Beloved Disciple. He's known for love, yet he apparently started as a very harsh person. Martin Luther, he was an attorney who became a priest, who became a reformer, all because of the power of the gospel. You, if you're a Christian today, are an example of this as well. Whatever you were or might have been, you've been transformed by the gospel. Can you think of someone that you've known over your lifetime who you'd say Wow, that person could never become a Christian and that person turned and became one of the followers of Christ and you've been like, wow. That's the power we're talking about. That's the dynamite. Well, that goes on to clarify the the power of God. So this is not man's power. This is God's power. So when man talks about dynamite or even nuclear power, keep in mind that is so small in comparison to God's power. Man's power is powerful for us, but God's power can do anything, and you don't have to build a bomb. You don't have to build something to to make it happen. God just says, let there be. And God speaks it, and it happens. That's power. This is a passage of Scripture I often quote when I'm doing my mic check on Sunday mornings. Before you get here, we do the mic checks. And I usually quote this one, one of my favorite. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. God can do anything. His power is unbelievable. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God Pause and talk just a moment about that power. There was a time that Jesus stood in front of Pontius Pilate. And Pilate says, don't you know how much power I have? I have the power to kill you or to let you live. I want you to see Jesus' response. Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. So you see, as powerful as man thinks he is, he has no power unless God bestows it, allows it. The gospel, or the Bible tells us in Acts that you, should, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses throughout the world. And it happened only because of God's power. The power of God that brings salvation this is the word deliverance. It's the word salvation, soteria. It's a a salvation that you can't find anywhere else in the world. You can try. People do. Maybe some of you are still trying. You think your good deeds. You're living better than the person next door to you. That you're going to still get into heaven because you're living good enough. No, you'll, you'll find that there's no salvation in that. You'll even sense it. You'll know it. The power of God is the gospel that brings salvation and there's no other way to get it. And it's a free gift. And that's, I think that's part of the problem. It's a free gift. People go, ah, it's free. Talked to a woman on the phone yesterday. He said, we're going to send you a free iPhone case worth $60. I'm like, right. No, no, really. No catch. You don't have to send us anything. Just, we're just going to mail it to you. Right. Right. What's the catch? I couldn't even believe it about an iPhone case. How can people believe it about salvation? But you should. God says there's no way you could afford it, so I can't sell it, so I'll give it to you. It is a free gift, salvation. To everyone who believes, this is just the bottom line that it doesn't matter who you are, how good you've been, how bad you've been in your life, there's always people who think, well, God couldn't save me, Oh, yeah, everyone is what the Bible says. Everyone. In fact, here's a verse we're going to read four times in Romans. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are. We'll read that in chapter 322, 411, 104, 1011. Paul wants you to understand this is for everyone. No exceptions. And by the way, I want to show you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say to everyone who behaves. Because you see, there are many people who still believe that. And again, maybe some of you still think that if you behave well enough, that you're more good than bad, you're still going to get to heaven. Or if you're better than 49% of the world, you're going to make it. You'll make the cut. No, has nothing to do with behaving some people think, well, it's to everyone who belongs. If you belong to the right church, if you belong to the right family, then it's, you know, you're gonna be adopted in. No, there are, there is no second generation Christians. You, it doesn't matter where you belong. And some people believe that means, you know, whoever, whoever bestows, and the word bestows, the idea of giving. If I give enough money, if I give to charities, if I give more than I keep, Maybe then I'll get in. But that's, that's not the answer. The answer is to everyone who believes. It just seems so simple. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. This is simply saying that the order in which the gospel came was first to Jews. Do you realize that all of the first Christians were Jews? The day of Pentecost were all Jews. And thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Jerusalem. They were all Jews and then it went to samaria they were half jews and judea all of the surrounding area they were jews and then you get to acts chapter 10 where simon peter is told to go to the coast because you need to meet the gentiles so first it went to the jews and then to the gentiles some people think this means well the jew is has more value no we're going to learn that in chapters 9 to 11 That they are still important to God and they are still his chosen people. But when it comes to salvation, they're only listed in order, not in value. Number eight, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And that's, this is the line that transformed Martin Luther. This is the nature of God and is also the gift to each of you who become Christians. So... God sees his son Jesus as perfect because he was perfect, never sinned. And then he looks at me through Christ and sees me as perfect. And I think, boy, (laughs) I'm far from perfect. Doesn't matter. He sees me through Christ because I have Christ's righteousness and he sees me as perfect. Righteousness is by faith from first to last. Never any loss in this. And this is the line that I think people... Kind of get confused on. First to last is the NIV. Here's the ESV. Many translations do it this way because this is the actual word for word. For in the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith or faith to faith. What's that mean? It means that Jesus was the first person of righteousness and he gave that to the next generation. And they brought people to Christ. And when they did, they got 100% of the righteousness. And then I went to the next generation. Our next generation, I was telling my growth group this week about my own conversion experiences. I was eight years old. And the man who led me to Christ, he was 100% righteous in Christ. Through him, I came to faith and I got 100%. And many people that I've been able to lead to faith in Christ got 100%. You see, anything else kind of dilutes the more you pass it along. But salvation, faith to faith, first to last, It stays fully, 100%. We all have the same righteousness. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul now calls back to the Old Testament. And he says, it's always been the plan. God didn't make up something new here in the New Testament. It's always been the plan that the righteous person will live by faith or faithfulness. So those are the two verses I hope they mean more to you and make more sense to you. Would you just read them out loud with me so that we can just kind of lock in these two verses we've learned together? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. I'm gonna invite our worship team up because they're going to help prepare us for our communion. But as they're coming, can I just give you two closing thoughts? You might say, okay, now we understand these two verses better, but what do they mean? I mean, what, what do I do with them? And here's my just two-thought application. If you're not a follower of Christ, you're missing out on this righteousness. You can be perfect in the Father's eyes. And there's no other way in the world you can get it. It's free, I know. That's a hard thing for some people. It's a free gift, but you can have it. All you have to do is believe. And I know that many of you, most of you are followers of Christ. So if you are a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you to stop living in fear and guilt. So many Christians do that. They live thinking they're hanging on. You're not. You are seen as righteous by the Heavenly Father. And you need to enjoy that righteousness and celebrate that righteousness. And it's all through Jesus Christ who died for us.